to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Wonderful to know that um, our love for others is not based on how much I can muster up inside me or how much I can work up inside me. And if you're like me, you've probably tried to do that, that person that you work with, that family member, uh, to know no, it, it comes from him. And he's got plenty of love, and it comes from him being holy and just and, and having all those qualities and characteristics inside him that he gives us, that he imputes to us, that are on loan from him, not our own ability. So what a, what a beautiful thing to end with. Since we're looking at this idea um, and continuing our study in January of this idea of faithful, um, what matters most? And so we we'd kick that off with that idea of um, looking at it has to be what God would say matters most. So loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he ties that in with loving your neighbor as yourself, right? And so we're going to continue looking at that idea of what does that mean, loving your neighbor as yourself? Um, and we're going to be looking at um, what we need in that is what, what's expected on God's end is that there would be some spiritual maturity, some, some spiritual maturity and growth that comes along. Um, and that comes through gospel renewal. So uh, we know that we should be growing as Christians. We, we should be um, getting more mature as time goes by. Um, sometimes it, it's that scenario where people get saved, and then they're, they're, they're just trying now to just kind of gut it out and trying to keep all the rules. Um, sometimes they're, they get saved, and, and there's not a lot of gospel growth. Um, um, so you can see that. Um, I think the year was around 1988 or 1989. I want to give you a real clear picture. These are, these are beautiful days. So um, it's a Camaro. It's a red Camaro. It's older. Um, it's got really nice mags and wheels on it. Um, it was up $4,000. And so I'm driving to my friend Jimmy Blanton's house. And so we're driving. And, and so I want you to see these two clear pictures. So it's us in the Camaro. And it's Salisaw. And so um, we've got shirts off. Because why not? Um, we're, I think Jim, I know Jimmy's in there, but also I think there's somebody in the back seat. And uh, taking Jimmy to his house, we've got Metallica blasting, windows down, Sonic drinks, because that's what you do in Salisaw. We've got mullets, no shirts, or if, if we did, we would cut we would cut shirts and make them like real thin um, tank tops. Um, and when we're driving down this street to Jimmy's house, it's about 106, the, the temperature. And um, as we're going, Jimmy lives on this little curve, and his, his house sits on a corner. And across the street on the other corner is a family, and they're a holiness family. So I don't know if you grew up, and if you're, if you're holiness background, no, no problems with that. But holiness were a big movement around Salisaw. And so they're the ones who, they, so men are not allowed to wear short sleeves. Um, women aren't allowed to cut their hair. They're not allowed to wear any kind of makeup, and they always have to wear dresses. And men could never wear shorts or um, short sleeves. And so that that was very um, predominant around Salisaw. And so these kids would kind of come, and so we were good friends with them and everything, but um, they had all these extra rules and lists. And so as we're pulling up uh, 
as we're going past that house, we look over and it's um, one of those kiddie pools. And it's probably like maybe an eight foot kiddie pool. So it's less than maybe a foot tall. But out in this kiddie pool, as we're passing by, there's a grown dad, maybe 45. There's probably a 14-year-old. There's probably a 10-year-old. There's a 6-year-old and then like a a 4-year-old. But everyone's fully dressed because you can't break those rules. So they're in full long sleeve, full pants. The girls are in the dresses with stockings beneath, and they are splashing, and they are having a blast as if they're the only ones in you. So they are just in this innocent, like, you know, just having a blast with water because I'm sure it was hot. It's 106 out, and you've got to wear all that clothes. And so they're doing all that. And so we literally come across this corner, and, and as we're going, they're having a blast and just splashing, but it's it's nine inches of water, and they're splashing water, and you know, so we we didn't even notice, but like I literally just come to a stop, and so I'm sure our Metallica is blasting out, um, uh, and they all look over and they just stop, and they went from this joyous time to now staring at us, and it kind of first them like, and you see like the oldest kid kind of like, oh this probably looks weird, you know, and so. Sadly, the difficulty is I realize we've just stopped looking at them. We weren't like laughing. We really were just staring, all of us. And sadly, now to Jimmy's house, it's only like 40 feet further up. So now we have to pull up and park and all get out and just act like that we don't do it. And now they're just all standing here, except the little kids. So that that picture is... Uh, that is where I come from. Like, and so uh, it was probably a year ago, I heard uh, a sermon, I think it was Matt Chandler, and he, w- he used an illustration of, you know, in spiritual growth, you don't want to be like the, the adult playing in the kiddie pool. Like, that's weird, right? And I was like, hey, that's not an illustration and a sermon to me. That was where I come from. Like, that's normalcy. And so that's how bad some things get there. And so that's, but that's exactly the picture uh, of spiritual maturity. You shouldn't still be doing that, right? Like, like you, you should be growing and maturing. And some of the things that we do in trying to be mature look like that. Like, it, it, it's things that we are really caught up on and that we think are really, really important, whether it's long sleeves and dresses and clothing or, or these other lists and these other things that, that they're, they're not really in God's word of you have to do these things to be close to God. This is what holiness is only defined by. And so um, when, when you think through that... Um, we, we have to look at what is it that God has shown us. Um, the holiness people believe that they were the only ones who were accepted by God. They were the only ones who were pleasing. The, the way that they dressed, the way they looked. And you'd be in Mazio's or pizza places, they liked pizza a lot. And so there'd be always huge 40, 50 of them. And, and, and you're just thinking, I bet they think that we are just, I mean, it must be weird to think everyone in here is not going to go to heaven. Everyone here in here except us. And they're usually nice people and stuff. But, but just that idea, um, the idea that your holiness being set apart in those ways, it really sometimes makes Christianity really weird. Because lost people, they looked at that and they're going, that, that's kind of nuts, right? Like, that's weird. And, and, but at the same time, here's us in our car, and, and we're weird, right? And so I know that was weird also. So last week we looked at this idea of the um, Imago Dei, this broad spectrum. Um, And as as we're looking at that, we want to see change going on in us. We want to see maturity taking place where we're not stuck in the kiddie pool, uh, splashing around, thinking we're doing lots of stuff, and thinking that we're approved of by God when actually um, it's just making Christianity kind of weird. 
And when we talked about this broad spectrum, but last week we wanted, I showed some things about a broad spectrum on the Imago Day and this idea of being faithful in the Imago Day. And last week we talked about abortion specifically. And we wanted everyone to, to understand, to have a biblical stance that, that God, because he created everyone in his image, that he is against abortion. That, that we would protect in our desire to, to place dignity and love and mercy on all people, the least of these, that, that we would say, especially the unborn. But sometimes in the church, I brought up how some of our churches, we don't. there's kind of a, a red um, evangelicalism, and there's a blue evangelicalism. And so on, on one of those spectrums, we are huge on abortion. Like we will ha- have the marches, we will have the signs, we will be all over social media, and we will bring all these things, anti-abortion, and, and, and we can do those things. But we're really, really silent when it comes to issues of other forms of injustices. We're not as big. And so I put up there, I think I even had some um, things that I brought out last week about Generation Z, the one that's coming up. So the number one thing, here's some things that are huge to, the, to what's going to be your kids as they grow up. Um, racial, racial justice, 40%, 39 to 40%. Number one most important thing. Number one, number two, number three for you may depend on where you land ethnic, ethnically, right? Maybe land on what you've been through. But racial injustice, number one. Climate change, huge in the evangelical world, right? Huge in the Republican right, Christian wing, right? No, it's not. But, but the kids, it's big. It's big. Race, um, these things, it's huge. Um, foster care, adoption, orphan care, third, 28 to 29%. Reducing abortion, and religious tolerance and freedom, they're tied at 4th and 5th at 26%. Um, police and criminal justice reform. See, the justice systems, systems just broke. Sometimes we have people that maybe necessarily don't need to be locked up in prison where their life's endangered, but they need therapeutic care, right? At the same time, we need firm justice. When people do certain things, we need firm justice. Justice is from the heart of God. So all of those things, global poverty is, is, is the number seven. And so sometimes we're not as aware of those things. So I wanted to present some opportunities for spiritual growth this week. And we all agree that we should be maturing. Um, but have you ever thought through why God believes that in that idea of if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then it would be natural for you to love others. So look in 1 John. We've got a slide up here of 1 John 4, 20. See, is, Tyler switches that. Let me grab this water. So 1 John 4, 20 and 21. Look at this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. The commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So think through that. We would probably think that we are pretty good at loving God. That's what we want to do. That's what we aim for. So why would God expect a redeemed person to go through this change? If you love God, it will show up by you being able to love your neighbor. And in 1 John four nineteen, he shows us why. The verse before that says, we love because he first loved us. So, right? So, so, so remember, you look at those things. Here's, here's the basis. God loved you as you were an enemy. God pursued you when you were fallen and broken in sin. You, there was nothing deserving of it. There was nothing worthy of it. And God pursued you. 
So based off that, if you understand that and that changed you and you're amazed by that and you're captivated by the fact of him coming and loving you and dying for you, then God's going, I think that should open your eyes to being able to love others. Um, the person that's understood that have, have understood the beauty in the gospel because they have been renewed. They have been changed. Um, but sometimes this renewal change stops. And you see that, right? Sometimes people get saved they start reading some things, but then they're not really willing to change on other things. They're not really willing to have continued growth going on. And so we want to be a, a place where that's happening. So like I said, all of this falls in the category of spiritual maturity, gospel renewal. Now, now I want you to think through this. What do you equate as spiritual maturity? I want you to really just, just think for a second. I put some things on the board. What do you think of when it comes to spiritual maturity? What are the things that you measure spiritual maturity by? So look there on the, on the screen. What if we found out that what we are measuring as spiritual maturity, Jesus is not? What if we found out that the things that are on my list of, spirit, my list of spiritual maturity over here, here's the things that this is, I want to be like this, we want to be a place like this, these are the things where I measure spiritual maturity. What if we found out that that's some of the things on Jesus' list, but there's a whole bunch of other things that are on his list that are not on my list? So think through that. What are your measuring marks? Probably like I have there on the screen, solid Bible teaching, correct knowledge, maybe correct stances, orthodoxy. I go to a solid church. I, I tithe. I give more regularly. Maybe it's Christian attendance, um, scripture memory. Anybody remember those TMS, topical memory systems? If you first got saved and you got a little topical memory system, had God's word in your pocket, and you could just take it out and memorize scripture to fight different things to kind of renew your mind and stuff, and you could memorize all these scriptures. Um, evangelism contacts weekly. I remember um, being in college ministry stuff, and so I'd meet with guys, and the first thing they would say sometimes is like, man, here, here's my Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. On Monday at 10, I've got a guy, and at 11 o'clock, I've got a guy that's in my uh, football team, that's in my fraternity, that's in my science class, and I'm sharing the gospel with those guys. On Wednesday, I've got a 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock appointment to share the gospel with these guys. On, at Friday, that's my international day. I've been exposed to God's heart for the nation, so on Fridays, I focus on internationals, and I'm sharing the gospel with Hindus and Buddhists, and those are, those are all wonderful things. Like they, I hope we're all doing those, right? Um, maybe, maybe it's for you, discipline in your daily devotions. Very disciplined in prayer, solid reading list. Um, maybe it's a solid book list. If you've been in my house, um, you may not know this, so I've never kind of told this, but like on my house, we had, you know, we had tons of books, tons of books in every room. And so on, that sh on the main shelf, on the living room, I put some that are just kind of weird and funky that I know people are like, oh, that one and that one. Yeah, I, I like that. What's this one? Who? This guy's a heretic. Why sink your? And I just I do it on purpose, just so people kind of like just to kind of shock people. Just like don't you don't have to be scared of that. It doesn't mean we're adopting everything in that. We should be critical thinkers to where I can read a book and be able to pull out maybe one or two of the good points that would be challenging for me, and maybe throw the other eight away. Right? right? That, that's critical thinking. We've got to be able to do that as Christians. Sometimes we just go, uh, I've heard about that guy. I won't read that book. Like that. That's not. And it and so especially if you've been to seminary where you had 96 hours of you know six books in each eight books in each class you, you have to have a broad spectrum and be able to know what things are solid and what things 
not. And so maybe it's your book list. Maybe it's your approved songs of worship, your approved dress for church, uh, your approved Bible translation. We, we've all been here, I think. So if you've been, now if you're, if you're just clueless to this, you don't even know this, uh, I'm letting you in on something that may hurt your feelings, okay? So there's times when we've been around college students or maybe in a small group and, and someone's like, hey, would anyone like to read today's um, uh, passage? And someone, some girls, you know, like, or some guys like, uh, yeah, I'll read. And they start reading and like people are just like, what is this? Because they're reading from like the message or like the, the you know, the, the living Bible. And it just like seems it's talking about puff, puff clouds and hugs and kisses and like all this lame. And you're, you're reading your NASB or New King James version going like, this is so far from God's word. And like the whole room is looking going like they haven't got the memo and they're going to hell. Like I, I'm, I'm praying right now that God will not strike us all down with, you know, stones from heaven because they're reading a bad translation. So we've been there, right? We, you've been in those groups. And then there are, again, some of you are going like, oh man, I love the living Bible. And so you've never been exposed to that thinking about there's this whole spectrum of some, some, of, some of the Bible versions are word for word, Greek and Hebrew. Some are thought for thought. And then some are kind of like, let's just kind of paraphrase and, and kind of beat around the bush. And it's like way off from God's word. And that's, that's kind of can get dangerous sometimes. Sometimes it can be very uplifting. Um, but your stance on any number of things, how, how, how are your kids behaved? How, how quiet are they? How, how meek and humble are you? How gentle are you? Or how bold are you with the gospel? Are you like Paul or, or are you like this? Um, that one book, a Dane um, Ortland. I haven't read it. It's all around my house. Maybe God wants me to read it. Jamie's read it. And so uh, lowly and humbly, humbly and lowly. So what? Gentle and lowly. So Dane Ortland. Um, thank you guys. I, uh, I can't stand Dane Ortland. I'm joking. I have no. I don't. I love Dane Ortland. I love his dad. He's a great guy. And so um, a book. I didn't know. So I, what he did in that, I guess he took two characteristics of Jesus. And just wanted to expound on those two characteristics of Jesus, like humble and lowly. If, if you even got these two things, it would help so much of Christianity. Like It would help so much in your life. People would feel that. And he got torn apart by, by some like, critical people, like you know, probably on these different blogs and these different things. Because they, what they said was, this is not Jesus. There's other parts of Jesus. And they kind of went into, Jesus comes and turns over the tables. Jesus shows up and rebukes people. And he was going... I wasn't trying to say, here's 50 attributes. I just wanted to say, these two are so beautiful about Jesus. What if we were more like that? But he got tore apart as almost a heretic because he just wanted to go off on two of those and say, look how beautiful this Jesus is. And so we do that sometimes. We get caught up in that. Um, these are all things that, that, that I hope, all that whole list of things, what you measure by, I hope those are things that we're growing with. And I, and I want to be careful here because we need to be growing in those things in all humility and grace and truth and love. And so sometimes what happens when I'm saying those things and so on, uh, people um, kind of get lost in that. And, and what people walk away with is saying, so thank you, hold it. So what you're saying is that we shouldn't be doing quiet times. We shouldn't just worry about what, what version we're reading. We shouldn't worry about training our kids up. We shouldn't do evangelism. We shouldn't disciple people. We shouldn't, no, no, you're missing it. We, we need to be doing that. Sankey is saying he hopes growing those things, but I hope we're growing in the practical outworking of those things. Sankey hopes that these things lead us to other things on Jesus' list. I love talking in third person. Um, if, if you say you love God, then obviously love for others, concern for others, it's flowing out of those things that you're doing instead of the tendency to be disgusted or maybe just indifferent to people that are so much different and you can't imagine why they are the way they are. 
Who are the ones in Jesus' day who received the strongest rebuke from him? It was the Pharisees and scribes, right? Uh, They had all these markers. They had all those things that we just had on the board, right? But Jesus might would see all of these and consider them dangerous. Jesus might look at your list of things that you're measuring and the things that you're trying to go by. He may go, those are very, very dangerous if you're not living in these other things. If those things haven't led you to a certain type of thinking and changed you to a certain type of humility and grace and love and mercy and action towards those that need it. That's the point. What I'm saying is we miss the point if we walk away going, well, man, are you, Sankey seems to be saying these are bad for us. No, I'm saying that Jesus says these are tendencies to do all of these things and feel very righteous about self and feel very good about self and still not be loving and gracious to those around us, not being filled towards, uh, filled with compassion towards others, still not give a rip about people who are completely different than us or who disagree with me on different things. So um, look at this verse, and this is what we went and started with the first um, faithful idea is Matthew, the, the great commandment, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and that's the first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law. So we want to be looking at how we grow in that. Um, Jesus knows we have, a pro- we have no problem at all loving ourselves, Right? Jesus knows that that he's going, I know you love yourself more than you like to admit. And if you just took a little bit of that love that you have for yourself and how intentional you are and how how, how focused you are in loving yourself and just just act towards others that way. So when I'm driving, uh, there's two types of drivers. There's coasters and there's drivers. Drivers know how to use the gas pedal. I get behind coasters who, when the light, when you've been sitting there for four minutes already and it turns green, they're going to let their car just idle forward for the first mile and a half. So I'm behind them. I'm I'm praying that God, I love them. I hope they're saved, but I'm praying that God would bring down just, you know, like meteors to crush them. I'm thinking through what went on in their family of origin, what happened with their parents, what their parents did wrong. I'm thinking through their genealogy and heritage. Like they're coming from a whole lineage of bad coasters, and then I'm just just oh just freaking out and like wanting to go around and you're stuck and the car beside me's going the same speed, and then I end up 20 minutes later, I still get to my destination, I'm still five minutes early. I'm thinking, man, I uh, I guess that person wasn't so bad, you know? Like maybe I should not have uh, you know like wanted to ram into the car several times. They had four kids in the car, you know, and maybe they're not going to hell, and and all these things that I was thinking. I, turns out I got here on time anyway. So um, what's the deal there? Who's Sankey in love with? What's affecting my day? Sankey's in love with self. Sankey's in love with Sankey's comfort. Sankey's in love with wanting to be on time. Self, self, self. When you've got little kids, so we're getting out of this stage now, now they kind of start going and spending time in other areas. Um, it would be times when I'd be trying to read and study and do all these things, and I was thinking, golly, what is going on? This is just ridiculous. Why are people not being quiet in the library? God, this is a place of studying and reading. You're supposed to be quiet. 20 minutes would go by, and I would be getting on to them. And then I would realize this isn't a library. It's our living room, and they've got the TV going on, and they've got a football and a baseball and a dog. And so, no, they're acting like a, a three and a five and a seven-year-old. And so sometimes, and so what's wrong? Sinky's kingdom 
Sankey loving self turns into Sankey, Sankey coming down hard on them. You're disrupting Sankey's comfort and Sankey's kingdom. I love myself. I, I don't think through that at the time, do I? Just like now as they get older, when I go to correct them about something, and I, hey, man, what, what, why were you saying that to your brother? Why were you doing that? Do they go, oh, da- dad, thank you so much. Oh, God, bless you, Father, for coming and reminding me of the gospel and reminding me to love my brother. Let me think up ten ways. So I, do they do that? No, they don't. And so this, why? Because they're loving self. We all do that. Um, to love neighbors yourself simply means to be so focused on making sure you're taken care of. And Jesus is saying, why don't we have that same heart for others? Um, if you had a family member that was experiencing all kinds of injustices, and maybe some of you do, um, if you had a family member going for, through incredibly wrong and unfair treatment, um, maybe needs of safety or food or just the general things, what, what would you do on their behalf? Jesus went, I know. Stop playing peekaboo with me. I know what you would do, especially if it was you. I know what you do. I want you to treat others that way instead of just having indifference and not even caring. I know. Love others in the same way you love yourself. And man, do we have a hundred different reasons why that doesn't work. If you are personally experiencing any kind of injustice, Jesus knows that whatever it takes, do the same. You would do whatever it took on your behalf if it benefits you and your family. John 13, Jesus takes it even to what I believe is a higher standard. He jumps it up a million points. A new commandment. And they're like, hold it, Jesus, you've been talking about loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, praying for those who persecute. Like, this is crazy, radical stuff. And then he goes, hey, a new commandment I give you. Love one another in this way, just as I have loved you. In a few short hours, if you know John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 are all the passion. It's, it's the last hours leading up to the crucifixion that night on Friday. And so that, that passion, those passion days, John 13 is where he said, hey, you're about to see what it means to love someone the way I have loved you. Not just love your neighbor or love your enemy. Love the way that I've loved you. So that is a complete self-emptying. It's self-emptying and self-sacrificing instead of self-preservation. Jesus can enable you to do these things even though your flesh does not want to. And it will sometimes be just agonizing and miserable but he can enable you to through the, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers you and enables you to do things that you wouldn't naturally be able to do. It's patience and long-suffering on others' behalf. Remember those eager, remember the um, purpose-driven guy, Rick? EGR, eager, uh, the EGRs, the extra grace required people, co-workers, spouses, um, other people in your family, they, they require extra grace, and, and God can enable us to have extra grace that's required in dealing with them. Matthew 12, let's look at this. Here's Jesus. Um, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck the heads of grain to eat. So they're walking through, and what that means is they're walking through the tall pieces of uh, grain that are sticking up. They would just take their hands, they would slide it off, and they would take it, and they would shuck off the hard shell, kind of like, we we don't do this at all. So the closest thing to this would be like shrimp. Last night we had shrimp, and so if you have the the shell still left on, you have to pick that shell off to get to the good stuff on the uh, inside, and there's always that real nutrient, little black streak, that's the most nutrient part. And so when you pluck that shell off and then you eat it, that's the same as, um, that's the same as what they were doing. So they pluck all the, the grain off and they would have to break it down and they have to shuck the shell off and, and then they would be able to eat it, okay? So 
What you don't know is in the Mishnah and the uh, Mishnah, and I dropped the other one. Um, there's another word. It's two different groups of teachings that the Pharisees had. They took what God said in Deuteronomy and Leviticus about on the Sabbath day, you should never work. And guess what they said? They had about seven levels. If anyone were to take grain, first of all, you going out into the field is step one of sin. Now, Deuteronomy and Leviticus didn't say that, but they said that's step one of sin. Step two is you taking your hands and working. Step three is you taking that husk and breaking it apart and crushing it. That's the fourth one. Then taking it and now uh, putting it in your mouth and eating. You've done all this work and labor on the Sabbath day. Was that what God had said in Deuteronomy? No. They added all these rules. Jesus knew, man, this isn't God's word. You've added rules on top of God's word. And they said, why are your disciples doing this, um, what is unlawful, what is not lawful to be done on the Sabbath? So Jesus says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which it was not lawful for him to eat. So what's Jesus doing here? Jesus lowering the stance of sin? Is Jesus here being easy on sin? Jesus is saying, you've missed the intent of the law. They had added rules on top of Scripture, and their interpretation was now black and white sin. Their interpretation of the law was what was now they were measuring by. So if you just walk through and got this grain, and Jesus goes, they're not, they're not sinning at all. There's freedom here. They're not sinning at all. Those are man-made rules that you've added to Scripture that, 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 that yeah, they're doing it, and it's a good thing. You, you, missed, you missed it. It's me. I'm God. That was my rule. It's me. They're doing it in love for me as they go and share the gospel. They're doing these things in freedom as they share the gospel. Think through the Pharisees. They were the most knowledgeable. They were the most strict. So what's missing in them? What's missing? They're always having these lists and lists and lists above Scripture, and they weren't grace-oriented and loving. He's going, the point of all this is love, getting the gospel to people. We're walking through a field, and they need to eat because they left food and family behind to go for the gospel. And you're wanting to come down on these little bit nitpicky lists? You've completely missed it, and yet you're the most knowledgeable. You're the ones who think that you know more than everyone. You're the most godly. You're the ones who have your incredible list. And by the way, your list is better than everyone's. And you don't even think me, God in the flesh, lives up to it. Because they're rebuking Jesus. And so sometimes we have better rules and stronger rules than Jesus. And we're trying to enforce them. So Jesus goes through that and he shares that with them. In the scripture, it goes to this point in verse 5. Have you not read in the law on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what it, this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So, so he quotes this scripture. So remember, we, we've learned quotations mean he's quoting something in, in the Old Testament. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That goes to Hosea 6. Hosea 6, there's two verses it goes to. Hosea 6, 6 and Micah 6, 8. In Hosea 6, 6, you can look in your Bible, it has those references there. It says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God, I mean an understanding of what God has done rather than burnt offering. It's not what you've done. It's not you bringing your sacrifice. It's not you doing this offering. Has your heart been changed by what you've seen God do? 
Have, has your heart been changed? Are you a loving person? No, but, but I bring in the most sacrifices more than the other people. And that's what they were doing in those days. Um, Micah 6, 8 says this. So you've, you've heard of this. You've heard of the great commandment, right? We just read it, Matthew 22. The great commission. Most of you heard of that. Most people are not, even, not aware of the great requirement. So it's found in, Matthew, uh, in Micah 6, 8. And so um, this is the great requirement. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. So that's what Jesus would. So remember, let's go back to our list. Is that your list? To do justice? To care for the poor? To care for the marginalized? Your list. What if we found out what we were measuring as spiritual maturity? Jesus is not. And here's the thing. Here's the beauty of Jesus saying these things. He knew in that crowd, you were never going to be able to. But who was the one who did come to live out to the greatest standard, who, by the way, wasn't having all the things that we have on our list sometimes, but he just did these things and lived them out. He lived out that righteousness that we never would. And that's why we can grow in it. That's why we have the hope of growing in it. So you go on to this, this picture. Um, sometimes we haven't changed a bit. We haven't matured in doing justice, justice and mercy to others, serving the poor. Um, Sometimes we're the guy in the pool. But man, I can tell you what Bible's right and wrong. I can tell you all my lists of these are the right things. We're this type of church. We're this type of people. Care for the marginalized. Yes, the unborn, but yes, also to the oppressed, to racial injustices, to protecting immigrants, to protecting the poor, to protecting the mentally ill, to widows, to um, the abused. Not just abortion. Yes, that's part of the Imago Day. But, but let's open our eyes to see Imago Day in all kinds of categories. So let me show you what I mean. What's your stance on divorce and remarriage? A lot of you probably have a certain stance on that. It can be very, very firm, very, very clear to you. And I'm not saying that's bad or good, but I just know a lot of you have it. What, what's your stance on the ESV or the Message Bible or, God forbid, that new one, the Passion? I think there's a new one coming out, the Passion Bible. I don't know what it, what it says. Maybe better, but, but I just know it, it's probably over here. And so people would be like, oh, man, you're reading the Passion Bible? God can't even speak to you through that. What's your stance on how many times per month we do the Lord's Supper? What's your stance on um, speaking in tongues? What's your stance on women teaching in the church? What does it mean for them to exercise authority? What's your stance on using hill song or elevation music? What's your stance on any one of those things, right? Because we have stances on those things. But sometimes we, we, there's these things that are on our list that, that we think makes us mature, and, and we're like toddlers in these other areas. Or, or we even argue against them. We're even arguing against them that we shouldn't be doing some of those things. Theologically arguing against those things. Remember, there's two different groups, and so maybe we just haven't been taught that's what we should be doing. Luke 4, in closing up, he comes to Nazareth. He'd been traveling around where he had been brought up. So this is Luke 4, 16 through 19. And as was his custom, so he does this regularly, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, so that's church day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So it's these long, long scrolls. Isaiah is the biggest book in the Old Testament. So he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Here's Jesus, Son of God in the flesh, in his hometown, if I had my choice where I was going to open up the scroll and read, and, I, and, and Jesus takes the time to go through 
the things, and it's quiet, and it's awkward. This new prophet, and they've been amazed by him. He speaks such incredible words, and they're probably looking forward to it, anticipating it. He takes his time, and he purposely goes to one spot in Isaiah. What, what does he want them to get the understanding of? He unrolled. He found the place specifically. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Is that your list? He has sent me to proclaim liberty, freedom to captives. To recovering of sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You got your gospel narrative, your way of sharing the gospel down. You got, got your book list. You got your, your, your list of attendance, quiet time giving. Here's Jesus. Here's my chance. Here's the heart of God. Here, here's what I want you to be focused on. Notice what he goes to. Out of all that he could have went to, and sometimes our circle of churches are not real big on these things. In fact, there's, in the last two years, there's four years, there's been arguments against doing some of these things. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue are fixed on him. Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. He began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he's saying, this is me. I'm the one Isaiah was talking about. All of this was me. Is that beautiful that you're realizing that was him? He's saying, this is me, now the kingdom has come. I'm the one Isaiah was talking about. I'm the one that was anointed to come and do this. Um, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? So end of the story, end of the story, right? Stop it, Jesus. End of the story right there. Please, please, Jesus, don't do this thing where you flip it. Don't do the thing where you turn it, where, where everyone's rejoicing. Everyone, we like you, Jesus, we like you. Don't do the thing. And what does Jesus do? And he said to them, doubtless, you're going to quote to me the proverb, physician, heal yourself. Where do they mock and quote that? The cross. If you're the son of God, come down and heal yourself. Rescue yourself. He was prophesying. You're going to be in that crowd. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in our hometown as well. And he said, truly I said to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of those in Israel, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, outcasts, unclean, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, our enemy, the Syrians. When they heard these things, and all, the, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Wrath. What happened to Jesus? We love you. This is a great message. They all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. What happened in this crazy church setting where it went from praising and worshiping such gracious words, what beautiful words you have to grab him and kill him? That's bad church service. Like, I don't know what you do with the children, child care at that point. I don't know if someone takes care of it. 
What was it that Jesus did that changed the crowd from praising him to wanting to carry him off and throw him down a cliff? What was it that flipped the crowd? He was confronting their hearts on what it means to love others. Yes, keep preaching those words. Good stuff, good stuff. Let me reveal something to you. He was revealing hearts that liked the idea of seeing themselves as loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but was not open to loving others as much. The joyful, praising worshipers at church, amazed at his graceful words, turned to murderers when their hearts were revealed concerning their disdain towards others. Jesus says, I don't think you get what I'm saying. Let me give you some commentary. Let me connect the dots for you. You are very selective in who you love. There are categories in your heart that you will not let me touch. In fact, they even anger you. God's love's going to Syrians. God's love's going to these outcasts. Kill him. Love others who are very different, who are outcasts, who are unfit, the unclean. Treat them with justice and love. What you used to consider disgusting, what, what you've been taught to hate, I tell you to, that I've come and I'm showing you the true heart of God. And you like to look at yourself through your measuring standard as very good, godly people by your lists. But I tell you, you struggle with this idea of loving others. And so that's difficult. What's been the tendency in the church? Uh, and we had the thing for last week about the, um, the different lists in the Imago Dei. So, so are, we, are we really good at this? Jesus was saying um, you you're have this tendency to look over the marginalized, look over those who are mentally ill, those in poverty, the unborn, the widows, the orphans, those of greatest needs, um, those who are addicted to sexual perversion, addicted to drugs, addicted to substances, addicted to pleasuring self with maybe tons of comfortable riches. And so in the church, we're strong on abortion. We don't talk much about genocide or poor, marginalized, poverty, women, widows, orphans, immigrants, the weak, minority, oppressed, justice. These ideas of um, the aesthetics, the, what is beauty and dignity and honor and truth to all people. So what do you measure spiritual maturity by? Are these things on your list? Merciful to others? Quick to forgive, compassion to others, generosity to a fault, relying on faith and not control, serving the marginalized, doing justice, resting in Christ and not thinking um, that God's expectation is only how perfect you can be, growing desire for him and not just providing exactly what I want in life. Like I said last week, these are not cultural issues that political parties and churches have come up with to mislead us. These are issues inside the Imago Dei that the church needs to be concerned about. And these are opportunities for growth and gospel renewal. And I just want to point us to the reality of we should be concerned about those things just as much as we are concerned about how strict you are with your spiritual disciplines and your stances on abortion and your actions in that, that we should be concerned about these other areas too. And the church has not done that very well. We've, we've isolated and we've let people play us so when you think through this category of loving others, is there a tendency to measure your spirituality by your own list? And really, Jesus has some things on his list that we haven't really grown in. 
We're like the guy splashing around in our own little list of rules, thinking that we're the ones enjoying and pleasing God, when sometimes we're just coming across really, really weird, making things really, really weird. As Brad comes up, we'll do this last song, give you some time to respond, and then we'll do the Lord's Supper right after that. I want you to just think through, take time to consider, where are you at on that? I want to challenge you to think through, um, is there room for needed growth and maturity to take place in your heart? Are there some things that maybe you've even been taught in your churches, a whole gamut of churches, uh, of kind of those, those sinner, pitiful people, really good over here, and thinking through, maybe I need to soften that up a little bit and go, they need the gospel, and not just the gospel barked at them, but maybe I need to get into their life and, and listen and care and show them the gospel. Teach them slowly through the way I treat them, the way I treat my family, the way I treat others. Maybe you're someone saying, man, I've really, really worked at this. These, these are difficult issues in our times. Sometimes I know there's people in here that have really tried to be listening, have really tried to understand, and sometimes you get slapped in the face when you're stepping towards people to help, and that's really confusing. And you're still labeled as a, a, a racist or a bigot or a, a pitiful, and you're like, I was actually coming to aid here. And so that's hurtful. And then what we do is like, well, I tried, and I'm, I'm done trying. And so we've got to think through what that looks like. Um, so as we take some time and we pray, ask the Lord for maturity, for gospel renewal, for spiritual maturity. Father, we do thank you for just your word. Your word plumbs the depths of our hearts and reveals so much. I would be right in the crowd in the, the, the church of Nazareth. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. So oh, such beautiful, gracious words. And yet you would reveal dark areas of my heart that I'm, I'm unwilling to open up to you, to see change in, to be humbled by, to seek repentance and confession, to seek complete change and renewal, to seek rest in Christ. We thank you that you are the one who is able to enable us to do these things, that it's not a new list for us to take on, it's that you could change our hearts and then allow us to move towards these areas that maybe we've been put off by. Thank you that you did live out these commands, that your imputed righteousness is what we can look to, that the gospel can change us. Thank you that it's not just how strict and disciplined we can be, but instead you want to give us these gifts of love and mercy and grace. Would you help us to be that kind of people, Father? In your hand we pray. Amen. We sing this song. Take some time just to pray. You might want to just sit and pray as Brad leads the song and sings. You might want to take the first minute or two just singing, um, responding to the Lord. Um, you may just feel, man, I, I mean, I'm all in on this. and I, 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 This is right on, and I just thank you, God, that we get the chance to do this. So just take some time now, and then we'll come back and do the Lord's Supper.